Welcome back to another episode of Like Dragon Like Son. My name is Jay Oatway. And my name is Jack Oatway. And we are a father-son podcasting duo, dynamic duo, mm-hmm. talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Name a more iconic duo. I can't think of one off the top of my head. That's right. Uh, and yeah, so we're two generations, so I I try to bring in the wisdom of the times, mm. which I don't know how much of that I honestly really do. But I like, <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and we just did it wrong back then. Mm. Um, and Jack's really, really up to date on the current awesomeness that is D&D. Well, I used to be, but I've now diverged into my own timeline of role-playing <clears throat> exploration. Jack, Jack has forked uh, the I've, D&D yeah. uh, rule set and really basically rebuilt it as himself. Uh, I've forsaken for it. And so when the announcement comes of, oh, there's a new, you know, playable rules, it's like, yeah, I already made my new play- playable rule set, you know. Um, I'm still playing uh, the traditional rule set. Well, I say traditional. 5e is only, what, 10 years old? Yeah, about 10 years. Oh, it's nearly the 10-year anniversary. I think yeah. that's what one <clears> Which is why I kind of think they're, they're trying to evolve it into the mm. sort of next run. So, you know, some editions haven't lasted this long. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're playing 5e. Five, there's never been a better time to play D&D, frankly. It's true. Uh, but it is an odd time. Um, so new things are still coming out. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but sort of have a little feeling every time they're dropping another book. I'm like, yeah, but things are going to change. Mm. And I don't actually think that it's that big a deal, though, because I don't think it's a massive sea change like we saw with previous editions. Mm. Instead, it's a very gradual change. And you're actually seeing it, I think, baked in mm. already to yeah, the well, changes you see that are it, coming exactly. out. And so right. one of the examples of that we're going to talk about today as we look at some of the sneak previews of... Uh, the re-release of Dragonlance, mm-hmm. uh, something which we haven't seen for a long time, um, but that used to be, oh boy, it was big, um, really big. It started in like the mid-80s, um, and I, to be honest, I was playing D&D at this point, and I didn't really understand like the difference between... Dragonlance and D&D it, it all looked like D&D to, to mm-hmm. me sure and my friends um you know there were some there were loads of Dragonlance novels kicking around in fact I think there I was looking it up there was over 190 uh novels mm. and so yeah you, they were around all over the place kids had them at their houses and things and you, you'd read one or whatever and I guess the characters in it were like canon and kind of set into this whole thing it was like a an enormous soap opera uh, set in the land of Kryn at a particular time after a cataclysm and, uh, you know, worlds were at war and it was mm. kind of a different setting that way. Like you were in a world that, you know, a, a, there was war in the, as a background, um, which I think is a little bit different than Forgotten Realms where, you know, adventures to be had, but, you know, unless the DM decides to create it, there isn't really a war going on anywhere. Mm. where Dragonlance I think is really set it's my, a little bit more a little darker and they even kind of show you in the name and in the promotion for it I think they're trying to aim for a little bit more of a dark fantasy yeah. approach which I'm I love dark fantasy so don't even get me started well, the original author of this uh, Tracy Hickman uh, Tracy Hickman was uh, also the author of uh, Ravenloft right which those who long time listeners know is like something near and dear to my heart so I've always quite liked um, Hickman's work. And apparently, like, the the story goes that he conceived Dragonlance while he was, like, driving in his car 
on the way to TSR for a job interview. TSR was the company that owned D&D back then. Right. Um, and, and pitched it? Yeah, he pitched it, and they, they liked it. So well, there you go. Um, yeah. So it's um, it's been around for ages, but it, mm. then it kind of disappeared. Um, mm. When Wizards bought TSR back in the late 90s, they uh, they let Margaret Weiss, who was Hickman's co-author in a lot of it, uh, license Dragonlance. Right. And uh, I guess she kept it going until about 2007, and then it just kind of went quiet for 15 years. Yeah. 50, right. <laughs> I say a little while, um, quite a while. So, yeah, so there's a whole generation of, of players that's out there right now who, you know, apart from weird Googlings of D&D that occasionally spit out some old Dragonlance novel cover. But the covers were awesome. I'm going to tell you this now. We just, I would look at covers of Dragonlance novels and just from that artwork, I could just come up with a adventure idea. Mm. It was kind of fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at a lot of the art in this and it's pretty inspiring. I think the whole idea of, you know, I think the dragon, of course, is iconic to a lot of people, but I love the, I mean, just like read again, reading some of this text. I mean, it makes me excited even though I understand that, you know, a lot of people only get it for the you know races or subclasses or whatever and i used to be that way but i've been i've been taking more time that now that i'm an actual world builder and writer of all these other you know more flavorful things that exist in a world i take time to sit and appreciate and maybe parse and steal a little bit of of not steal but um be inspired by what i can find in these books well i mean if you kind of if you had enough other authors kicking in and wrote 190 novels set in your blightheim setting god it'd be amazing um, of uh, course, we don't have that. Right? It would look, yeah, it would look like Dragonlance. Um, Dragonlance also just as a name is pretty cool. It's a good name. I'm just gonna be honest. It's a good name. Although the world of Kryn, eh, I'm less uh, Kryn, eh. I'm less digging Kryn. Mm. The Knights of Salamnia. Era. Oh, okay, it's a little that's a mouthful, isn't it? Mouthful. All right. So yeah. today we are gonna look at a little bit of a sneak preview mm-hmm. that uh, came out on D and D Beyond. Yes. So it's official, but you know, in uh, uh, in a cheeky little format. In a teaser, teaser sort of way, which is, I guess, okay. That's how they, you know, it's how they're doing it these days, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is how they, they deliver things. They always do little articles now, if you've noticed, before they release something, they'll just give you it straight out. Yeah. Sometimes they'll even just post full on stat blocks, which is neat to see. Um, but here they gave us a sneak preview of how important backgrounds kind of are to the world of Dragonlance and how much more they're trying to kind of promote them. And that kind of works yeah. in tandem with the whole... Well, I think I think it's very clear that that's how they're going to go forward with one mm. D&D. And I think they're they're just doing it right now. They're just making things so... If you start playing D&D with Dragonlance, you're going to already have a pretty good idea of how backgrounds and feats are a much bigger part of your character development. Mm. I mean, with that, there are two major factions we'll get into that were sort of posted in this article now there are a couple races and things like that there are so articles for but i think today i mean our primary focus is on the backgrounds and the feats because i think they kind of show not only reflect not only sort of the past of these settings in D, but also reflect how it's kind of being updated to the modern yeah. standards so right? i mean this, this isn't this isn't your grandfather's dragon lance yeah uh this is but we're gonna they're gonna start with the knights of salamnia and they're also going to look at the mages of high society right which already sounds like something i don't want to be a part of although who knows i, I you know maybe it is actually quite exciting to be a mage in high society maybe um anyways 
within these larger categories of knighthood and and mages which we see as typical are you know character archetypes in fantasy they've got kind of sort of subsects and for the knights those are orders and for the um sorcerers there oh no they're also orders but a sort of robe like kind of um motif to them which is kind of funny um but should we start with the the knights yeah and and i think it's important to recognize that this is not or as far as i can tell at this point this isn't a subclass no it's not anyone this is, can kind of be so this. this is like you know you you make a fighter or a paladin or anything with this background or feet i believe or some kind of oh no no with, with the knight of salamnia background yeah so yeah uh, in order to get the feet and I think once you get the feet then you're kind of a knight of Salamnia but anyway so the background gives you the feet mm. um, but yeah we'll talk a little bit about first there's like three three orders uh, and the idea is that you know something you know as time sort of after the cataclysms happen the sort of great war and things are rebuilding themselves there's still a lot of bad things going on and the world's still kind of looking at pointing fingers to you know who brought mm. you know the bad stuff on the world and the knights of salamnia are not without blame they're getting their you know some finger pointing at them and so when you're playing these like these knights and things although you're committed to honor and stuff there's i think there's a sort of a, a darker sort of duality you know beneath the surface and i think that kind of adds fun to oh, yeah. your, you're not just all righteously i mean although you might pretend to be that though there may be a side of you that the entire time is thinking mm. oh damn are we really as good as as our we shining are. armor yeah. portrays. Uh, it's interesting. There's three sort of orders that we see. Yeah. Um, none of them really have an impact, per se, on the actual effects of the feat itself. I, as a person who writes things, would be obsessive about creating, you know, intricate sub-options within feats that you choose and um, progressions and all yeah, things it, like it, that. Yeah, this my... almost begs for it, really, because you've got the Knights of the Crown. But hey, guess what? I know this is not what we pay for, but if you had the time, and this is, I guess, my bias because I love doing this, uh, I would write up a whole, like you know mechanics to go alongside with each of these little sub things, yeah we, right? or just give them a little tweak on that feat for each one of these somehow yeah give them a little um, twist so the knights of the crown are the foundation of the knights of salamnia mm-hmm. and salamnia always sounds like salami just gonna salamnia. say that right now uh well they make salami of the dragon or actually i don't know what their lore is i don't know who their adversaries uh, are i assume m- it's the dragon most knights start in the in this order where they learn the importance of honor loyalty and obedience right knights of the crown focus on working collaboratively and value life of their comrades as much if not more than their own that's kind of sweet but i could see the insidious side so, so this is good for this whatever, is right? good for like battle master fighters or uh, maybe oath of the crown oh knights yeah of the crown Oath of the crown all i mean obviously together. right um yeah i could see that for sure i mean basically using your abilities to control the battlefield uh and aid your 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 fellows yeah and uh yeah, I love what they also give, like, in this little write-up here. It's not official. This is just sort of an article. Mm. They they list things that aren't traditional fighters or paladins, like bards with college yeah. or valor, you know, or... College of swords or valor, yeah. Yeah, war domain clerics. I mean, these are things that people sometimes snooze on, and I love that they give or a bit more attention to Or don't think of them as knights. As knights, exactly, exactly. People think knight in shining armor, I'm going to play either a paladin or a fighter. That's I'm, it. I'm thinking more like knights of the, you know, like in... In modern UK, where you could be like a, 
songwriter like Paul McCartney and oh, no, Sir Paul. No. Well, I mean, I suppose he and is he's a he's a bard. Is he a knight of the crown? He's think? a bard. He's like clearly a knight That's of the crown. Possible. Um, I would even my favorite knight I ever made was a ranger. Yeah, he was good. We have an episode way back on that night that I made that was just, yep, full on ranger. And some people, you know, he, he did the whole heavily armored aspect side of things. Yeah. Maybe it was a multi-class. I can't remember how it ended up. But yeah, he was a full on ranger and it felt like a demon seeking paladin, righteous knight in shining armor, um, which is a, a lot of fun to make. And I encourage you, to, again, just like this article kind of shows, you can make knights or mages or scholars or whatever from things that you wouldn't even expect um, which is it's really usually cool. better and, and more fun for the table when you it show up with something up. that surprises everybody because everyone's like oh yeah he's gonna do his whole divine smite oh like, he's no, a he's a yeah he's a knight of the crown so he, therefore he must be the oath a, of the crown, oath of the crown. Or whatever right mix it up on them you know keep people and guessing. then you throw and then you throw out some bardic inspiration and then they go Ta-da. Whoa. Um, that's a lot of fun um, secondly we have the knights of the sword Funnily yeah. enough, College of Swords isn't in, <laughs> it describes in here. Uh, uh, and Peace Domain is. So, I mean, I guess I, I can see, of course. So the idea is that these, names these, aren't these are the ones, these are the knights that are dedicated to upholding justice and protecting the innocent, which I always worry a little bit about. And what gives you that Judge Dredd sort of vibe mm. where it's like, oh, tell you what, we'll just put our judge on the front line with an axe and he can like issue guilty sentences. Yeah. Um. Anyways, but there's also the idea of sacrificing their own life to to save others, right? Yeah, um, I always think interesting idea though. Like we often talk about lawful good characters as like sort of mm. holier now, but I I like when the idea that lawfulness overtakes uh, the good portion of it. Like you think you're well, we're we're righteous and good, but the law says X, and we are gonna go by the letter of the law no flexibility yeah. whatsoever which then makes you just evil and ugly um yeah it's way worse feeling un yeah way worse than the chaotic the character almost it is somehow higher than its application yeah. you know and the theory is more purpose than the practice yeah. um finally interestingly uh but it would be oh, good sorry, yeah. this would be good though for mm-hmm. this one's like oath of devotion mm-hmm. um champion fighters i could see that uh and like you mentioned earlier, really, peace, peace domain might be probably good um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of other ones that could fit into this sort of narrative. I, I again, I get the trouble I have now is I just think of my own writing yeah. that I've made. Well, you know, I had a character long ago, uh, a Furbolg, mm-hmm. um, who was a fighter rogue mm. uh, scout, yeah. um, who who was all about. I mean, he had this whole thing about you know, kind of protecting the the lands of the kingdom from people who are, you know, poaching or chopping wood or, you know, trees or exploiting Mm. the land or things like that. And, you know, a little bit different sort of aspect to it. But again, he was lawful in that sense of, of wanting Mm. to, you know, the, the letter of the law was that he could, yeah, basically kill poachers um, with his heavy crossbow on sight if he wanted to. So yeah. you could do maybe a scout or something as a knight of the sword. I could see take a rogue with medium Although, armor. A lot, I don't of this, a a lot of the knights in, in this often does to me sort of still say, you need to be able to carry a sword, which of course then... Why? I don't know. I don't know why. It's like I don't totally cooked into my brain. To? I don't, I don't think, think it does, to. actually. Uh, I think that's just the, the common image we associate. Yeah. With um, finally, the knights of the rose, the noblest of the orders, it says... Um, and they're more of a divine branch. Um, this sort of says that they're typically the most experienced or have high, you know, ideals of honor, you know, 
tempered, interestingly, by the countless trials. And that's sort of a nice, interesting theme I love to see in all of these, you know, brave, heroic warriors then discover, hey, the world isn't as idealistic as you'd like it to be. And things are pretty miserable and terrible. And your God isn't really rewarding you in the way you think they would. And now you have to go lead an army into battle. Yeah. And it's, oh, God. Um, And these ones have seen battle and survived. And that's changed them. Um, why they're still a knight is the interesting question, but um, I suppose well they get they paths. get a pretty cool feat if you decide to play this sort of adventure and your DM is mm. you know up for all the way these new feats work, and why shouldn't they be? It's yeah, the, it's the on. future man. It's cool. Um, you get the feat called Squire of Salamania. Mm-hmm. Uh, two benefits, and these are really good. First, and this actually makes. Uh, mounted com- combatant just kind of poops all over it frankly well mounted combatant's got its own benefits but it does take a little from it so mounting and dismounting your steed only costs five feet of movement yeah but that's that's cool mm-hmm. uh, sure we can do that that's okay uh normally it would be half your movement mm-hmm. um and i think mounted combatant gives you the same thing mm-hmm. so you're just kind of stealing that so it's, it's okay they, they share that what else does this give you uh, well number two uh, you're able to give yourself advantage on weapon attacks a limited number of times per long rest. If you multi-class as the rogue as well, that's awesome. Um, and then if you hit with your attack, and it says attack, not melee attack. So I'm thinking this should be okay. It's, it's weapon attacks, so mm. can't do spells with it apparently. But weapons, okay. So I could use a heavy crossbow. Uh, mm. if you hit with your attack after using this feature, you also deal some additional does it, damage. Does it say not spells somewhere? Well, it says you give yourself advantage on weapon attacks. Oh, the weapon attacks. Oh, so, no, you're, no, sorry. Yes, I was just so looking at the second half. That was if you hit your attack, does it so, damage? Yeah. But yes, so there's that. you're right. Weapon attacks. Again, now I'm imagining why even the multi-class ditch it. Take the Knight of Salamnia background. You saw the front lines. It went real bad. And now you're a phantom rogue. Yeah. Take medium armor proficiencies, but you're like, maybe the armor's all destroyed and partly, you know, melted and fried from um, a dragon attack or whatever. Um, and you summon some of your fallen comrades or, or pull on that kind of strength from the grave. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that could be a really interesting it really twist on sort of, it. Yeah, and they're all your, like, your old unit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, or if you could, I could see someone going Echo Knight and doing a similar thing. Um, mm. That's always a fun one to see. Although that's really twisting campaign settings together. Oh, a little bit, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I would well, ask your DM. Even the, yeah, I don't know. Your DM, if your DM's like all poopy about things, uh, I'm sorry. You, you come play with me. I'll let you do it. <laughs> um, well, mounted combat may be a rarity in some D&D campaigns, and shame on you if you never let people ride horses. Mm. Um, I actually have a little one that i've never played we've never managed to play i wrote up like a one shot and then keep adding ideas to it every time it comes up in my head that is all mounted like mm-hmm. the whole damn thing is more or less based around uh chase scenes that are done on horseback yeah. um or not i say horseback it starts on horseback your steeds can evolve and you can end up running an owlbear in it eventually if you're if you play your cards right mm. um i just love the idea of mounted stuff sometimes and there's like and there's a there was like a magazine a while back, Arcadia or something, that had a little quick little idea in it that was so good. And I know this is a divergence, and I may have even mentioned this before, but if you look at how familiars uh, and creatures you can summon and things have sort of evolved in 5e, mm-hmm. you can, with your bonus action, 
move them about and have them do special attacks or whatever. You burn your bonus action and your the creature under your control does something. Mm-hmm. That's pretty standard now. It's it's a, there's, you can find probably six or seven examples of it out there. It's it's kind of all over the place. The idea is the steed's the same thing. If your steed has any sort of special abilities or powers or whatever, you can use your bonus action to use the steeds. Mm. Special thingy. And suddenly, then, like, steeds are fun. Steeds give you, like, a whole extra dimension yeah. of, I mean, like, cool, design, neat things you, you can do. Exactly. If you design the system and, and the campaign setting, right, we don't think about this. Campaign settings with home rules are their own mini systems, in a way. They're all these tiny little branches. Which, when systems. you think of, like, the 12 million people that are playing D&D right now... Uh, there's 12 million people million they, they played them 12 million you know whatever right i mean some people stick word to word but i'm doubts. sure you have your own unique i've, or I've played with table, a lot of dms right? i've never seen anybody now maybe some of us have more extreme diversions than others but little things like this i think are really like the testament like you can make your whole campaign not only about your character but what is their steed too you know maybe your whole party is you know really into horses right Get everyone to make some horses, right? And take care of that and design as much of that, you know, as you design the rider of the horse, right? I mean, I think it's not all the priority needs to be on the PC a lot of the times. I mean, um, systems I made in the past, the biggest, like the whatever character builder is, you know, you that there's nothing, almost nothing to to that part. Sure. Um, besides some, you know, attribute distribution. And then the real customization comes in with their, what's their big weapon or it's thing that they got on now, them, Now, right? a lot of people, a lot of people have like, you don't just go for creating a character if you don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Like getting a mounted steed and then finding yourself like on a ship on the salt marsh is kind of like, oh. Well, yeah. Or you're in some sort of dungeon where there's a lot of ladders and ropes. Horses just it's not great climbing ropes um so there's places where like horses kind of suck um which is fine um but we're outside we're on open plains large-scale battles uh that's where something like this and a knight of salamnia would obviously you know come into uh, to doing that epic charge into battle Mm. um it doesn't say how many times in this that you get i have a feeling it's probably proficiency bonus yeah. or something plus proficiency bonus that's just my inclination yeah i'd say probably proficiency bonus per day prolonged rest is what it says yeah. oh prolonged rest that's per day but yeah but that's still great i mean jeez that's you know if you if especially if you've taken you have taken a a paladin or something and you want to really ride in and like drop that mm. big smite um if you caught our episode uh, recently, where we discussed rolling with advantage, your chance of critting is like close Much to better. ten percent. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, uh, having any time that you give yourself like automatic advantage, you have a first of all at least a very very good chance of hitting, and if not, you've got an excellent chance of. Critting, well, that's what so. the, the champion I, I could see being an appealing option as well. Yeah, because they, they they sit at something like seventeen percent for 18 it was it was like eight is it really of those top two ones 17 percent if on advantage to, to crit which is which is mental uh absolutely mm. given where most characters have a five percent chance it's so, very true yeah, on a straight roll no uh, again though i think it's interesting i mean I, I i think this is just a good base feature that i'd like to see a, a, a boring class get you know or some, some people people some people sleep on a class think oh this doesn't have anything this is the perfect kind of first second level feature 
a class could get to really spice it up for someone, yeah. right? I mean, if you're not playing with this feat and someone's like, oh, this character's feeling kind of, you know, uh, blah, blah, right? I would say, hey, you're playing a fighter and champion and you're not feeling very, you know, stoked about it. Let's do this. Let, let me just give you this. Yeah. How about that? And look, if, if this is the direction D&D is going with more elaborate feats, it's going to make for really different characters. It's going to remind people, I think, a bit more of 4E where feats were everything there were hundreds of feats yeah um but i mean that was sort of phased out as the, the game was well, simplified i mean but, the thing was um, that, that, that somewhere that, between maybe but the thing oh. is that for a while it didn't feats didn't exist even so they're optional they're still considered optional rules that's uh, weird and then they're definitely not optional going forward they're they're yeah they're, they're core they're core now um and to me they're just one of the many things that i've uh, i've that got should have been core crazy. ages ago um um, I'd like to see them introduce, you know, proper, you know, flaws as characters that have negative mechanical impacts. I'd love to see. Yeah, and that you'd have that to, you should thing. have to take one. That would be crazy. That'd right? be. I mean, that's game changingly cool. I mean, that's I think, how people lean into weaknesses. And oh, that's start learning. I mean, I've got a whole malady section just for that. You know, think about all the different things in character injuries and insanities and illnesses and maybe some more or less comfortable with these topics. And yeah, yeah. you know, some people want to be heroes, uh, look, and I don't it, blame them. But I, I want to. I want to be a flawed hero. Exactly. D and D comes from a, a traditionally a very epic hero sort of build idea um but again it's evolving with time it's changing actually to be honest i say that out loud i think the last couple of general like the last mm. couple of editions it's been that yeah but in the very beginning characters especially if you weren't playing a fighter character death was like guaranteed yeah like everybody died all the time um one e things like that existed but nobody played them monks like yeah i think you had 2d4 hit points um even wizards i mean if, if you're starting at level one it was useless you didn't have any spells basically and you had no hit points mm. yeah, like there were there were like there were so many really useless classes you were essentially slightly better than a commoner just running around yeah trying not to die uh and and things were unforgiving like if you were for, required to make a saving throw it was either you made it or you died right <laughs> my okay well that was that was like my wow. entire life decided determined by one roll of the d20 that's pretty nuts whoops that's early stages you know it, it's they refined the process over time. well this but this is just a reason why also anybody out there right now who as hearing these things is going oh i'm not sure about this move to one D D. I assure you with every edition of this game the refinement has made it better well i know there's the osr people and things like that i think there's a lot of rose-colored glasses <laughs> honestly because you go and you actually see these people play and yeah, they brought back some of the like, ooh, it's a little bit easier to die stuff. Mm. But then, you know, there's also still like, you know, more character involved and more story involved. And, you know, a lot of the old stuff really was just like, you know, sit down and play some math equations, like, you know, some grid paper and, you know, pass a couple of hours of trying to kill players. Um, it's interesting, though, because I think I'm almost at a phase in my stage of TTRPG you know immersion that i've been very comfortable in the waters of dungeons and dragons fifth edition but i always sort of had that itch to explore and, and see what laid outside the the meadows i was used to and as i sort of set off and sort of finding new things i'm really realizing 
I can see it from the outside in a sense, and I can see some of the complaints people have and some of the limitations. Yeah. Where before I was defensive of my only exposure, sure. my only source of TTRPG. Now I understand. Well, I mean, I, I again, anytime someone offers, hey, you want to play some D and D five E? I'm taking it, right? But a part of me is like, I'm, I'm running my own. I've got, you know, what do you mean? I've only got access to thirteen classes, maybe twelve at some tables. <laughs> I've made twenty classes with two well, or ten subclasses each with. You know, twenty backgrounds, twenty lineages, the, completely the, revised. The, you know, the all trick, of it, right? The, like, the, the trick is that I mean, your system even like I can drop in and play because although there's all these other things going on, mm. it's still five E in its core. Yeah. Right. I mean, combat systems works the same. Turn orders. Yeah. Ability scores. Like it's not. I, I there's new things that you've built to go onto it, but I know more or less the gist of what's going. And the same with this. Like you look at Dragonlance, you can add new feats. You can bring this, whatever. And because I understand at the, at the heart of what's going to happen in a turn and turn order on my turn, what my choices of mm. things are going to be, I can see how I can very quickly go through your stuff and or this one or whatever and evaluate what sort of things do I like and I see myself character doing in this thing and how's it going to work. And while I'm waiting for my turn, I can kind of come up with a plan or strategy and, and use those sort of things. The trick is when you switch to a completely different RPG system, mm. you're suddenly – and something – and I say completely different – I mean, let's go as, as near next door as Pathfinder. Right. Um, and suddenly people are like, oh, well, you're flat-footed. And I'm like, flat-footed? Um, what? What are you talking about? What? I mean, uh, and, and just immediately you're just like, you're scrambling for rule books and you're like trying to figure out, okay, well, what can I do on my turn? What's my well, chances? How, well, how do I calculate the arch of my character's foot? I don't understand. <laughs> like, why is this? You know, what happened? Um, and, you know, and that's, that's a very... You know, Pathfinder is very adjacent to D&D. It is essentially an older version of D&D. And I guess I had to go back and remember, like, I I mean, I don't think I really played, Mm. I guess, third edition, which is based off of um, enough or well enough or according to the rules to have used flat footed. Mm. Maybe I should have. I don't know. Um, It was never something that I, I, I did or understood. And I still, frankly, I'm. I'm still not quite sure how it all works, but mm. um, but those who play it get it. I guess I, mean, yeah. I can learn it. I mean, anyways, you know I'm what, just I'm yeah. just saying that you know, yeah that you know anybody who's thinking that moving forward with D and D is a bad thing, I, I disagree. I I'm excited for whatever one D and D brings, and it will make my Blightheim antiquated and different to another level, right? Sure. Because um, my thing is not backwards compatible with the new stuff they're making. Um, I think it's hardly backwards compatible as it stands right now. Um, but I'm really happy with the system I made. And I'm also learning to appreciate other systems. Because one thing that was so hard for me to let go of was the idea of a, a combat list, like an initiative list. Like there was no second phase there, right? Yeah. There was no shift in in the moment where I know we're not fighting and we are fighting, right? Because D&D, that shift is everything. That role for initiative, you wait for that moment. Honestly, right? I don't... It, I, it's so weird that you say that though, because when we played, when I played as a kid, and I know a lot of this because we played badly and didn't read the rule books mm. properly, and we just kind of winged it. We didn't. There was no, there was no call for initiatives. Well, I think that's so interesting because I've, I've been playing Blades in the Dark, and maybe people have heard of Blades in the Dark, and I've really been loving it. Um, I love how flowing it is. Like, there's never like because the thing with the whole role for initiative, and it to me, I never even realized this until I stepped out and played a different RPG, was that. It breaks the moment in in a sense. It You're does. stopping everything yeah. to have everyone roll their dice, to give you their numbers, exactly. set the playing field. 
the the moment of this you see the big villain he delivers his line he appears the the player you know takes this action and does that all that momentum and tension that's been building up that catharsis is only it, it's almost cut off by the role for initiative in a sense yeah. you know and there's so many times where i didn't even think about how like my players were communicating to me they wanted to do this thing narratively and it was an aggressive motion that would start combat. And so I just began the wheels of combat. And that right. slowed everything down to a halt. Right? When sometimes I don't want to do that. I want to keep the story flowing. I want to keep these going. And Blades in the Dark, I think, masters that. Because there is no roll for initiative. There is no change to turn base. And the one issue and the one thing I've had to learn from it is how to move between people when there isn't a forced turn order. And that was, uh, I'll tell you right now, that was a huge problem. Because the typically the most sort of naturally uh, talkative, outgoing mm. crew, you know, uh, maybe creative or charisma, charismatic sort of person at the table, mm. player, not the character, the player themselves, yeah. tends to be the ones who run it. And those who are a bit shyer or quieter or not so sure of what's going on tend not to say much. Now, Do you really think, I think I have a big piece of advice for this, if I could offer yeah. it. I think one like thing i learned really big like a large thing like you could say oh well the dm should try and reach out to other players and get them like get the other players when you're in session zero all agree like this story is about everyone right if you see someone at the table who isn't hasn't had a chance to talk in a while and the dm seems preoccupied or busy or concentrating on like another thing that's been going on for a while give it a quick heads up or even the player who's in that moment who feels that this beat has been resolved say hey i, I wonder what this person is up to and yeah. I saw this moment at the table, and that moment was like, it clicked in for me. that it's not all about the DM running this. That moment was sort of the thing I realized, hey, my friends now, they've told me that this is not the story. I'm not the only storyteller here. Yeah. You know, they've transitioned for me. They've and, and that's really, really cool to see. I've been playing with this idea a lot more in my head, this concept of move the camera mm -hmm. as well, and, and almost treating it a little bit. And this from a few different times I've seen – it almost all happens in first episodes more than anywhere with uh, actual plays. You're watching them mm -hmm. um, live play. They do the introduction and they'll like they'll cross cut between a party that has yet to meet each other and they're sort of fragmented. And they're mm -hmm. sort of jumping back and forth between them. Yeah. Um, and just learning to move the camera in the same way mm -hmm. from scene to scene, place to place, how to intercut. And it's a little bit trickier, obviously, to do. Um but yeah, it, it gives everybody at the table, requires everybody at the table then to participate. And I think it's very important that everybody does participate in D&D. &D. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the old days, actually, it wasn't always the worst thing, though. Because like I said, low level, if the fighter was doing most of the talking with the orc, we would just have like the conversation going back and forth. And yeah, things weren't going to go well. And we didn't say, okay, now roll for initiative. Like when the orc decided to punch the fighter because the fighter was, you know, being rude to him. I just rolled to, to hit. That was it. Like there was no like, oh, let's see if you can go before the orc. No, it's just like it was just the flow of the story. Like you know, if you you see it in a movie, you know, there's like beat, beat, beat. You know, somebody says, you know, like, well, screw you, man, and like, no, screw you, punch. The fun, the punch comes to the mouth, right? And at that point, the the fighter wipes the blood from his lip and is like, okay, it's on. And throw us back. And again, we don't stop to roll initiative. You just say, I'm making an attack. And then, yeah, as a DM, you'd switch over and go, are the Wizard and the Rogue going to do anything? Well, then again, and the Wizard and the Rogue at that point might be like, eh, we'll move around to uh, some cover on the far side of the sure. clearing. And we did a lot more stuff like – 
theater of the mind at that point too well that's what i think we can abstract roles for more than just each individual attack role someone makes that makes things begrudging and slow yeah but it's depend that's the whole reason that's what classes are built around so it's hard to divorce those ideas but again blades in the dark would encourage you to think of roles as a more abstract flow of of tides of things moving back and forth right it's not about you know do you succeed but how much do you succeed or at what cost right that's the whole thing like it's all about failing forwards right yeah um which is again another thing i learned about like in D D, like if you miss an attack roll that's it there's no there's no hit right in blaze in the dark it's like there's not an ac there's not a you know an armor class threshold you need to beat you roll a bunch of d6s and if any of them or are a four or higher you succeeded right success is always happening but at what cost what devil's bargain did you need to strike with the dm to get those enough dice to roll confidently in that scenario you know four or five is again success with a cost what is that cost and how does it keep the narrative going how does it make the tensions elevated right these that's the whole point is these stresses and these tensions are building and building and building and it's not about oh you took 83 points of damage it's about you know you've got now a gash wound in your side or you know your position has been revealed or you're you know in in the sneaky mission you know it's all up for grabs and the you know the, the target's getting away and the you know whatever it might be right and it's less about this numerical representation and again that idea people complain about it feeling too video gamey i think i've recently learned that i prefer storytelling games and not everyone does people love war games and warhammer exists and these and D exists as kind of this in-between balance sure. of storytelling and that, and and that goes to its it's game, very right? very 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 beginnings as well it was a tactical strategy tabletop idea mm. that then added rp to yeah. it and there's a part of my little lizard brain that loves the little numbers and the math rocks and the rolling maps i like out and i like minis, mini, minis and, and grids and I like, I like tactics and strategy, and I actually I do like that side of the game. Sometimes we've just sat, like, put put together mm. maps just to play strategies, like, fights like that without the RP. And the thing is, I, I say all this about other RPGs, but I'm not saying that I've stopped playing any. It's quite the opposite, or that I've stopped playing this war game side of it, because I know my players love part of it, and a part of me really does too. Sure. Right? But I'm just sort of, I'm sort of, I guess, sort of speaking on this perspective of, getting outside of the one box i know yeah and trying to delve into some others you know i tried lancer and that one didn't quite fit me um i i mean i loved the art direction and the design of it and the you know the mechs and the whole thought behind it and and one day i really want to run with that setting and do a bit of a a merger of a sci-fi and a blades in the dark kind of thing for us more of a uh spacefaring rapscallion crew at some point because i think that'll be a whole lot of fun um, but to me, Blades in the Dark has really spoken to what I felt was missing from a lot of my table experiences. And that was this certain element of failing forwards, you know, moving away from the idea of a rigid turn-based combat, of slowing things down for no reason, right? If we, you know, we were talking about this, I guess the audience would get this reference, but the this James Cameron bit, and he sort of says, hold the audience in that moment of tension as long as you can right because that's what they came to the theater to, to for, and that's for. what people enjoy right? people came to the table mm. they i mean get me wrong people come to the table to win of course but they don't want it they don't want it to be too easy yeah because then it's, it's not fun it's not a fun game if you just show up the table and i go okay there's a poisonous snake that you have to kill and now here's ten thousand gp of gold that that snake had in its hoard 
mm-hmm. you'd be like, dude, like seriously, like. Okay, what am I doing with this gold? Where, wh- who is the snake? Why am I killing it? Exactly. Like, what am I doing here? I mean, this is the story I want to well, tell. Murder right? Hobo Party of Five, you know, they they took the, the snake out in the first round. So. Ugh, yeah. Well, was this a snake 10 hit points? I'm not, <laughs> I'd be worried if they didn't take it out in But the this is what I'm round. saying. Like, So how do you take a, a, a party of five, say, fifth-level characters, and you, mm. and instead you've got to have, yeah, there's got to be things at stake. And it's not just hit points. It's got to be more. There's got to be something in, in investment in the story and the character development and what mm. they're doing and where they're going. And yeah. all of that is what makes D&D work. And it's these long-term changes that happen in pivotal moments, right, yeah. that feel so dire. And I think anyone who's played D&D understands this idea that permanent character changes come from the slightest of moments and roles sure. and things you weren't expecting. And those are magical parts of the game. And a lot of them come from combat scenarios, right? Sure. And so I don't think they have no role. But I just, I'm just trying to imagine, like, two NPCs are talking, or like a PC talking to an NPC, and suddenly it's like, all right, um, let's roll for negotiation. And it's like, what are we doing here? Just let me, let me talk to this guy, right? Why are we slowing things down? Why, why is this a turn-based social interaction just to buy some, you know, silverware? Like, it, there's certain elements that need to move quicker or need to move at certain paces. And initiative isn't a one-fix-all solution, yeah. I've learned. And I think this is actually what some of the the osr type guys are thinking as well that you know we do need to go back to a little bit of just the idea that you can do anything you want as a character you don't have to look for rules that say you can or can't do things you can just try anything you want Mm. and look 5e has created a system that is particularly good for new dms which we need because i mean the world needs more dungeon masters it's true um and if a dungeon master doesn't know what to do is unsure of a situation they can let the dice tell the story. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. You're mm. like, okay, let's pick a skill that makes sense in this moment. And yeah, maybe it's a negotiation role. I don't know. It, it's okay to have a... Well, the role is fine, but I'm just saying, imagine this turn-based yeah, back and it forth. It doesn't have like, to turn-based. It, it doesn't need to be, right? But you could still, if, if you as a DM would just like to see the dice make a, a judgment call on what how the direction the story should go, and I think that's actually my favorite part of the DM anyways. And I think many people, they start to learn that the randomness of Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. the improv, random tables, roles that you have no idea where they're going to go, things that happen, and you just got to wing it mm. on the spot, makes for the best games. Well, that's why I like, because the initiative is it's like, now there's a minute to think about this thing that's just happened. When I just say to you, okay, make this roll for me, in this moment, there's like there's no time to process it. Yeah. There's no time for spatial awareness or you know how many enemies there are or thinking of all the different actions I can take and you know how many spell slots I have. It's no, I'm going right. Yeah. This is happening right now. There's no time to think or six seconds or you know turns where everyone's going around. It's happening immediately. And I don't see why, as a DM, if you don't, if you want. Do you still have a, a turn-based system so people don't get messed too much? But instead oh, of, I think, it has a place. I think the whole role for initiative thing could just actually go away. Mm. As a DM, you can pre-calculate. I mean, if, don't let the dice. Like I said, sometimes you want the dice to tell the story. Other times, you don't need the dice to tell the story. You can tell well, the story. Well, again, I think there are moments for you it. You can have a list of the order that everything's going to happen with in the in the encounter. You can have it written, pre-written, in what. And you just follow your little list. Mm. These guys will go first, and then this guy, and then this person in the party, and then she's going to go, and then that'll happen, and that legendary action, then that layer thing will happen. And you can have your little list of things triggered so you can follow that narrative Mm. and then see what all the players decide to do. When you turn to them suddenly, though, you're on. What do you want to do? Yeah. Um, And and it doesn't, 
you're right. There's almost, I'm almost tired of the, I mean, don't get me wrong. As a player, I love like when DM calls it roll for initiative because you're like, oh, the fight is on. But you're right. It, it, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, maybe I'm going to try in future games just trying to do away with. Well, I think there's a couple things. Like, I mean, not I all the time. Like, I think there's some there's places a role, it counts, There's a purpose but... it has. It has a mechanical function. I'm wondering if there's a way. You mentioned the idea of a passive initiative, right? That people sure. just have a score. Why I think not? the one people think of would complain is that there's no randomness. Again, we people like the randomness, right? There's a part of that that's fun. What I would almost suggest, and again, maybe not everyone likes this, and maybe you have a different solution. I want to try rolling initiative at the start of session. People sit down, they describe what's going on, and then it just becomes a habit of, you know, it's a moment for their character to kind of express internal yeah. thoughts, and then they roll a d20. Add their initiative bonus, and whenever combat happens, they use that roll, right? There's no moment where it, and it's all or you as have a, it written as a DM, down DM, yeah, you just As a DM, you just jot all those numbers you jot, down. Also, you jot it down as they do that, right? And you can also write next to it that one key word from the description they had of how they're feeling. Yeah. And you can even, when things happen to them, look at that key word and tie your description to that, right? Absolutely. It, that feeling of dread you had as you walked into the castle well, deepens tell it, with tell the it blade to from, as it sinks into your Tell it to them from right the character's now. perspective as well. See it exactly. through their eyes. Um, I think that, to me, that's one thing I want to do more is yeah, sounds like a good idea. removing that barrier to entry, uh, getting just into the flow of it quicker. Um, I agree. I think those are all sort of fun ideas. Um, all right. Well, we've kind of... I, I have no idea how we got here. We've danced away from this. This is actually such a better topic. Um, <laughs> we have had fun so talking about I, this. We need to relabel this somehow so that we know later to go back. Dragonlance Plus. <laughs> there's a really interesting segue in the middle of this, uh, unplanned into discussing how to how to get away from some of the the trappings the rigidness of D D. um that yeah look and this as D evolves um and as you play more and more of it you'll evolve too mm. um that at the at the core no matter what we change like the the idea of what we're doing here at the table is still the same mm. um we want to make characters we want those characters to be cool. We want cool ways to represent them on the table and play them and pictures of them or whatever yeah. and be able to share adventures together and collaborate and do fun stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, Dragonlance will be no different. Uh, it's just a different different vibe, different scene. Mm. Um, and, yeah, maybe you're making some, some knights that uh, are going to gonna. gonna you know, work well together. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe you've got a whole side initiative approach to it as well, mm. where the baddies roll one set for initiative and your side rolls another, and then you decide between you and your. your That's comrades, one thing, but again, then how that are you going to go? People who are more talkative or evocative or bigger at the table sure. tend to always go first. Or the good, everybody defers to the very excellent tactician you've got on your team. It's very true. Everybody needs a Captain America type uh, player who just has, and I've seen them, who have just really good instincts when it comes to how to tactically mm. make the most of the board and have each other. You and say that, though, but I love the moments of that chaos where everyone's got different plans and it scatters everything. <laughs> That's like sometimes it's frustrating, but sometimes it's so real, too. Yeah. How each character's little flaws and personal wants break the plan well um, and, and, and who and doesn't anybody, understand and that anybody D &D who's plan, and anybody right? who's played D, D long enough has watched a party at some point slow things down to a crawl as they 
come up with a plan oh, of attacking something. A plan which every damn time goes absolutely to pieces by round two. By round, it's yeah. You know, I mean, this first thing goes wrong, and immediately the plan's out the window. And that's another thing. One thing I want to steal. One more thing from Blades in the Dark is the score idea, right? There's no time to plan. You pick the target. You pick the location. Maybe the DM's got a, a brief, you know, background of understanding. Maybe you talk about this at the session before, so the DM can plan it. You go, right? There's no like discussion. Oh, so we're gonna enter through this entrance. It's like, nope. You're there. You see this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. What you can do as a player is there's this flashback mechanic. Yeah. And you talked about this even with your Scorch We did this in, campaign. Yeah, in, in Eberron, yeah. But it's in that moment, and the DM just goes, and this is a complete moment where DMs might be scared. You let control, like control, you just let go of it. Yeah. You give it to the players, and they spend 30 seconds describing exactly how they overcame this obstacle already, right? Yeah. And a part of that's like, well, they just trivialized it, did they? Or did they just contribute to the story in this cool moment? Sometimes characters we, just we, succeed on We things. did that. We They're whole, just good we at We had things. a whole train heist in Eberron. And maybe there was even a role in the way, flashback. But. Which, was, which was so awesome because it had so many like really funny um, sort of uh, Ocean's Eleven type moments mm-hmm. where be like, yeah, but how did so-and-so, you know, like we have this whole thing about this like thing that's being the case and thing, whatever and like, and then somebody's like, oh, yeah, well, my character hasn't been here this whole time. Because they said anything up to that point. Because they're already in the briefcase that's hidden in the vault. Boom. And they're like, what? And it was like, at the moment that table where like, the DM's like, oh, God. Okay. Well, if it's <laughs> immense like you're, that, I would probably. You're in the vault. And, but it was like, but that was a whole other set of problems as well. Mm-hmm. It was Sure. But it was great. Like, sure. The whole point of that was, by the end of that session, the, the train had to explode. Right. And and whether we saved it or we didn't save it, and we, and we clearly didn't. We didn't wasn't we didn't think it was part of our mission. Our mission was to like loot the vault. Mm, that's um, my favorite thing. When you realize the mission's <laughs> a different thing the whole time. Well, well, and he was thinking yes, as heroic players, we're gonna go and try and save the day. Mm. But turned out that we were actually four good players who, or you know, experienced players who had created characters who did not give a damn about saving the day. Mm. Um, and something's like okay and actually they turned out to be one of my like favorite gangs they like looked after each other but not much more and uh it was we didn't play very many sessions probably like five or six but it was it was yeah. they were a good crew and it's such a good way to for, like people who are nervous or overthinkers or things like that it's such a freeing experience to be in a situation you don't know what to do in and go hold on i have control of this moment i did prepare for this right yeah in they can overthink out loud in the moment of one thing that can fix a solution right and you got to be careful with what you choose your flashback to be because yeah you know and you, it can be big it can be small whatever but i think for a lot of people who have trouble or anxiety there's something really to me that's very comforting about the idea of regardless of how dire the situation there's the tense and the stakes there and you know not not feeling prepared i know no matter what i can flashback right i have that moment i have that lifeline right um and that to me is a very exciting element of that game that is very unique um from D at least yeah well like i said i've i've before you played you know years before you played blaze in the dark i played an eberron campaign that had a dm who did that so yeah. and maybe that was an know, idea was lifted from somewhere or yeah maybe he picked original. it up or, I, mean, I don't know but um i think and, it's a great idea uh if you want to kill that again slow we talk about breaking things down to a halt the way that turns like combat yeah, yeah. can do and get everyone really bored I, I can say the entire combat set like I held in Blazenark, never one second did it feel like it was grinding to a halt or becoming yeah. lethargic or repetitive. It was 
high octane thrills go 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 and then go 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 you know it's like there's the moments of that respite and it's it's a tricky thing to manage and it takes more improvise it takes way more improvisation i found myself talking much more in that and about things that were story in that required thinking and storytelling and those muscles it was a much more of a flex for me but um i i kind of think of it maybe as a bit of a pr or kind of a pb whatever um in trying to push those limits and i think that's another benefit of trying other systems is it flexes those muscles in different ways different muscle groups in the, the the improvisation world right Absolutely. Um, and whether you're playing other systems or, I mean, if I try and bring us back in for a landing here, yeah, back into Dragonlance, you know, I know like picking up another campaign setting often seems like, oh God, how many more do I need? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many I haven't even played yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working on a massive Spelljammer thing that hasn't been played yet, but it's, it's huge. Mm. And that only just was, that only came out, you know, a couple months ago. Mm. And we've, I've been just waiting to get it you know, the right group of players and things timing wise together so we can set this up and, and do it. Um, and I, I too have built out a ton of things for it. So, and then now Dragonlance is landing and you're like, Oh God, that's one more thing to have to go and do. But again, maybe, maybe less prep, more improv. True. New setting comes out, new things like this. You've got, we haven't even touched on them. We probably won't tonight, but the, the mages of high society, you know, oh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> oops. Um, but you know what? Like, you know, there's the they give you a small text box, read it, improvise from there, yeah. wing it, have fun with it. Take the parts um, you want. <laughs> play it wrong, doesn't matter. That's, um, that's the only way to do it. <laughs> uh, well, I said I we, how I learned how to play D and D was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we ever followed the rules. We looked at the pictures and went, "What's happening in the picture is how I want it to happen." It's the only right way to do it. Um, Make it your own. Or I look at the picture sometimes and go, "That looks dumb. That's not how I'm going to do it." Sure. That's everything. Um, I mean, Salamnia, I'm not making a light that night that serves salami. I know that much. Salamnia is right? a terrible name. I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> I want to change that already. Oh, uh, anyways. I think even like Salania or something like that. That sounds better. I, I mean, again, Tracy Hicks, 1984. Can't um, all be bangers. I don't know. What you going to do? Anyways, thank you for joining us on this tangentially, I think very... I've had a lot of fun this yeah, I, I, just I, talking I, about my own experiences and endeavors and, and I think we'll, we'll probably title this uh, so that this is what this episode's really about <laughs> and people will come and they'll be like oh, I came right for something episode, else and it's got this Dragonland intro okay, so we'll put something in the description alright folks thank you for joining us and uh, bye bye